United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. We're going to pivot uh, to what is probably the biggest story in foreign policy right now at, at this moment. There are, there are a bunch of contenders, but this is probably one of the biggest. Jake Stokes is senior policy analyst in the China program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He tweets at Jacob Stokes. We are talking, of course, about Hong Kong. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, entirely my pleasure. Um, as someone who uh, tracks this uh, professionally, how should people understand the uh, the confrontations that are going right now in Hong Kong and between Hong Kong and Beijing? Sure. Um, the way the best way to understand it is that um, when Hong Kong was moved over from being a British colony to a Chinese uh, autonomous territory um, in 1997, Hong Kong was given 50 years to retain its independent economic and political system under uh, something that was called one country, two systems. Now, over the uh, interceding years, and increasingly in the last couple years, um, the government in Beijing has decided uh, that they want to begin to erode those freedoms. And they did it slowly at first. Um, but what we saw over the last week is that um, the parliament in uh, the rubber stamp parliament, the fake parliament in Beijing, has passed a law that um, would basically give it sweeping powers. Um, to curtail freedoms in Hong Kong. Um, and that comes after a year of large-scale protests um, against a bill that would have eroded freedoms in Hong Kong as well. Um, so this is basically Beijing hitting back really hard um, and trying to take control over Hong Kong and the people of Hong Kong um, pushing back, seeking uh, to maintain their freedoms. And that's really what's at play here. Jake, this is going to be a little bit convoluted, but I swear it's totally relevant, so bear with me. Sure. Uh, in in uh, George W. Bush's book, Decision Points, there's um, he reveals that whenever he met a world leader for the first time, he would ask them, what keeps you up at night? Um, now, that's the book I would have rather read than Decision Points, uh, a list of the answers, because it's really kind of revealing. Unfortunately, the only one that he gives us in the book is Hu Jintao. And Hu Jintao's response to George W. Bush to that question is something along the lines of, I have to create 20 to 25 million jobs a year. Um, and Bush writes that this sort of changes his way of thinking about how Chinese leaders make policy. Um, recently, the the Chinese uh, government, the Chinese Communist Party, declined to to set uh, an economic growth prediction. How much of what they're doing in Hong Kong is Xi Jinping uh, concerned about his standing at home, concerned about the economic situation? at home and uh, turning to foreign policy, if not as a distraction, then sort of as a counter? Well, for, um, for leaders in Beijing, the Chinese Communist Party, those things are interrelated um, because the system in Hong Kong um, poses a threat to their legitimacy because uh, that's what a democratic political system would do. And their legitimacy that outside of political freedoms is based on creating economic growth and jobs. And so basically, if they can't um, produce enough economic growth and jobs, then that threat to the legitimacy that comes from Hong Kong, or as they see it comes from Hong Kong, becomes much more acute. Um, and so for them, um, it is a distraction, but they are kind of simultaneous or related threats um, to their political power. Talking to Jake Stokes, senior policy analyst in the China program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Jake tweets at Jacob Stokes. The... Uh 
the Chinese uh, government has been pushing on a whole bunch of fronts recently. Uh, not even recently, I would say over the, over the past couple of years, we've seen them uh, take some pretty aggressive steps re- related to uh, to Taiwan. Um, we've seen them, of course, continue with their operations in the in the South China Sea. Can you put the Hong Kong actions by Beijing in sort of the broader context of China's operations abroad? Sure. Um, basically, um, when the current uh, general secretary of the Communist Party, China's leader, Xi Jinping, uh, came into power in late 2012, um, and somewhat before that, but really when she came into power, there was a sense that um, China had sort of arrived, that it had reached a point of power and influence where it could begin to be uh, more assertive and in places even more aggressive um, towards advancing its interests. Um, of course, uh, you know, China... Uh, you know, sees Taiwan as part of China. Um, obviously, the same is true for Hong Kong and, and as well for the South China Sea. And so for China, it's basically saying we are seeking, um, you know, we, we're seeking to unify the country, all of the, the pieces of land um, that we see as part of the country. Um, and we see it well within our right. Uh, to do that. Now, it's not consistent with international law, or, you know, much of it is not consistent with international law broadly. um, But that's basically what's happening. Jake, recently, uh, a think tank close to the the Chinese Communist Party, close to the government, uh, warned Chinese leaders that the the handling of the novel coronavirus had created uh, a a potential for a global backlash like the one after the uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre. as we look at America's toolkit, the, the options for responding to what may uh, or I guess may not unfold in Hong Kong, what are some of the options that Washington has should uh, should China proceed with what its uh, stated plans are? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Congress actually passed and the president signed into law last November um, a piece of legislation called the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. And it did a few things. One of the things it did was um, allow the, or force the uh, recertification every year of Hong Kong's independent status as a territory, which gives it special special rights um, on trade, on financial issues, that in terms of separating it from the mainland. So if the United States were to revoke that special status, um, that would um, have costs for China, which sort of in, in certain instances, sort of launders things through Hong Kong. It, 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 it's, it's sort of technical, but it gives it financial advantages. Um, so that would be one thing. The second thing would be um, allowing for sanctions on senior Chinese officials um, and officials in Hong Kong, um, the government in Hong Kong, um, which would you know make it harder for them to do business, do international transactions, um, and to travel. So those are two of the major things um, that would be that are I, I know under active consideration. Uh, not to uh, not to push you to irresponsibly speculate, Jake, but which of these seems more likely? I mean, the, the backdrop to some of this is that a, a revocation of special trade privileges would also have negative effects on uh, Chinese economy, global economy, U.S. economy, and this is not really the time when uh, I would imagine policymakers are eager to court those. And then the other the other challenge, of course, is China views this as an internal matter. If the United States proceeds with sanctions on uh, on Chinese officials, might there not be a response from Beijing uh, targeting American business there or American executives? Um, they they haven't been shy about doing that uh, in the past. Why would they hesitate now? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those are certainly factors that, um, you know, uh, decision makers in the White House are going to have to consider, um, you know, along with these decisions. Um, I think it, it probably is more likely that you have sanctions on um, on officials because that's seen as being more targeted, um, you know, whether that's the case in practice or not. Whereas, you know, revoking Hong Kong's independent status um, on some level recognizes that um, the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong um, has failed um, and, you know, and, and would have, you know, trickle-down effects on everyone that lives in the territory. Uh, and that wouldn't be the intention, um, but it would be, unfortunately, the effect, which is, I think, one of the reasons you haven't seen policymakers actually revoke that status yet. You can really only do it once. Um, and, you know, you're, it's certain to see, um, you know, Chinese retaliation um, against U.S. firms, and, and they could get quite creative in that respect. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's we can't um, y- you can't not choose a policy simply because someone could retaliate. Uh, you have to take that into consideration. Um, but we have to, you know, be thinking through, you know, we, we can't also not do anything. So that's the balance that people are trying to strike. All right. Jake Stokes, a senior policy analyst at the China program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He tweets at Jacob Stokes. Jake, thanks so very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.